Hello, and you are very welcome to episode 145 of the Game Pit Podcast. My name's Ronan, and that's it. That's all you're getting for this episode. I am flying solo, which is appropriate because this episode is a pit fight. And I'm going to forgive you if you have no idea what a pit fight format is. It's one of the many formats we've done over the years. The idea of a pit fight uh, has always been, in some format or other, we get a bunch of games that have something in common and then we just pit them against each other. And we've done it in all sorts of different ways, in conversational ways, in lists, in uh, straight-up fights. This time, I've got six small box solo games and I'm simply going to list through them from six to one, tell you what they're about, a little bit about how they play and then my thoughts on them. Now, if you've been listening, I've been promising this episode for a while, so you'll know that this has been in the works for months. I've been playing these six solo games to get decent plays of them and give you a decent opinion. It happens to be a fairly good time, I think, to put out some reviews of some solo games. So um, the terrible situation in the world that's constantly developing um, happens to have married up with this particular episode, so it may be of more use than it would have been at another time. Now, you're probably listening to this, hoping to get away from COVID-19 for a little while. I'm just going to mention it again for a couple of minutes, but then I'm done. Just an update on how we are, uh, and Sean and Eleanor and myself have all been symptomatic. So we had shortness of breath and chest pain and uh, cough and, and what have you, and really, really tired for about a week. And we've all been, therefore, in isolation in our houses or, or in on top of each other and our families as per the UK guidelines. And to be honest, you'd think that would be mean that loads of board games have been played, but it hasn't because we've been a bit too ill for that. But hopefully you can hear, I might be a little bit short of breath, you might hear a few... <gasps> So now and then, but I'm absolutely fine. I'm going back to work in a few days, to, back to work on uh, London Underground. If you follow us on Twitter, you'll see me shouting a little bit about how people are treating London Underground and saying we're not doing a good job. Well, we are trying. I am doing some working from home. If, if you're in the UK or in London, please believe we are trying to do our best. I know everyone out there is just doing their best to get through what is a, a very strange and can be scary and terrifying situation. I can only say what everyone else is saying is just stay safe, look after your, your mental and physical well-being, make sure you don't fall into too many bad habits, try and get dressed every day and washed and, and try and eat kind of healthily. I'm trying to do that, but <laughs> sort of succeeding, try and get a bit of exercise as you can and of course hopefully play some games as a mental release. Um, we've been talking about playing online, we've managed to get one done Last night we got to do a game of Oracle of Delphi using three different cameras set up and a Google Hangout, or various Google Hangouts, just to play a three-player game. It's kind of handy that we have some of the equipment and lighting here, so we ran it from, from our table. So that was groovy, that was fun. And like I say, I, I hope you stay safe. I'm sure this is going to touch almost everyone's life. So I certainly, uh, friends of friends at the moment are in quite serious conditions in hospital. No one uh, too close to me, but it's always worrying to hear it. I know it's going to affect us all over coming months. And uh, just us all here in the game pit wish you all the very, very best. And now we're going to get on to what we do. Well, we do it best, but that doesn't mean we do it very well. And we're going to talk about some games for you. So, as I said, I'm going to list these games from number six to number one. 
And number six, therefore, my least favourite of these games. And to be honest, the only one that I'd say really doesn't have any merit. With the rest of these games, I'm going to talk about different aspects of them. And as much as, of course, listen to what I have to say about what I thought of them, especially, I think, in solo games, it's very, very subjective. Some things are going to hit off with you and you don't have that bounce off of other players or different table experiences or someone opening your eyes to a different aspect of a game. It just sits where it sits for you. So the other five, I think, really listen <laughs> for this one. I'm not saying don't listen. I'm saying that this one was pretty bad. Anyway, what was it? Proving Grounds. It's a 2019 game. It's from Renegade Games, and it's designed by Kane Klinko. And it's a dice game. It's very much part of the line we did. The biggest game is Flatline, where you're attempting to um, roll dice in real time to heal people who've been injured in the explosions that happened in his other real-time dice rolling game, the Carpenter game again, Fuse, which is smaller, and it happens. And I didn't plan this, but myself and Ellie are going to be doing Fuse in another pit fight fairly soon. So you'll hear about that later on. I, I, we love Flatline. Myself and Rachel have talked about that on here. So that's why I got Proving Grounds. The story of Proving Grounds is that you're a princess, your mother, the queen, has died, and you've been framed for it by a cabal of ne'er-do-wells who are looking to stitch you up and steal the throne. And your only way you've seen out of this is to demand a trial by combat. You have a deck of enemy cards, but at any one time there are six enemies. And the enemies are represented by these cards, and there's a health tracker on there. And what you do on your turn is... You're looking to roll a whole bunch of dice, and they're mostly white. There's one or two colored ones. And then you assign the dice, whatever number's rolled on them, they're all just one to six on there. You put them in one, two, three, four, five, six, and, wherever, and there's an enemy in each of those slots. You have a minute to re-roll. You can only re-roll if there's more than one dice in an area. And that's very important. And you carry on re-rolling until you get to something that you're more or less happy with, and then you can stop, or the timer will run out. Now, what you're trying to do is you're trying to step the health tracker of these enemies upwards and combat them and get them all the way to the top of their card. And then you'd have defeated that enemy. And when you've defeated a certain number of enemies, that's how you win the game. There's problems, though, because each step on every enemy has got a different combination of dice that it requires. Lots of times they just have a minimum number. So you have to roll a minimum of three fives after you finish rolling all your dice, and then that step, health stepper will go up one. Sometimes it might be you need four off whatever position this card's in, including the yellow has to be there, and that can obviously be a lot trickier. You have a maximum of two of the different colored dice, but usually you only have one of each. If you get the set, the health tracker moves up. If you have multiples, but it's not the set, the health tracker stays where it is, that is for the enemies. If, however, there's just one die left by itself, with an enemy, their health tracker moves down. If the health tracker ever gets to the bottom, you lose one of your own six health and you have to put a dice into sort of like a, a resting thing. So you get double punished and then the health tracker for that enemy will reset and it'll go back up one or two steps. And like I say, you're looking to defeat a certain number of them before all your health has run out. So I started playing Proving Grounds and it was absolutely impossible. Just got nowhere. Incredibly frustrating. I was like, I'm playing something wrong here. Reread the rulebook a couple of times, played it again, went on BGG. Now, this is a, a problem for me. The fact I went on BGG, I would go on there. I don't think everyone should be expected to go on BGG 
to see what was going on with the game, it turns out they misprinted the cards, or at least they claim they did. And that you can for free in fairness, and they came quite quickly, you just email Renegade and say, I've got proving grounds, I need the new cards, and they send you the deck of enemy cards out again. And some of those starting health places have moved up by one. So instead of them all starting one away from the bottom, so as soon as you miss a massive roll, you were taking damage and you were dying very, very quickly, you've got a little bit more leeway in that some of these cards have to go down twice before you get hit. Great. I played it with the new cards. It was impossible, but longer. <laughs> this was not an improvement. <laughs> this did not make me any happier. Because getting a perfect roll in which you can move a lot of these health trackers up is impossible. You do not have enough dice to be able to do that. Therefore, every time you roll, it's going to be very frustrating. You never get, it's very rare to get a good roll. My problem with it as well is that the stages are too hard. So therefore, let's say that one of these dice needs five off a number off your dice. It's almost half of the dice you have to roll. And you have five fives. Because you've got a lot grouped in that area, you're going to have more singles, meaning that you're going to go down. And because the health tracker starts so low, and you've usually got to go up two, three, four, five steps in order to kill a card, but just down one or two in order to take the damage, you only take six damage the whole game. It's very tight and hard. But if you've got five tied up in that five card, and you go, oh, that's a great roll. I'm not going to get it again very often. But that's the one I have to pick up for probabilities to get rid because I've got too many solos. That happens far too often in the game. And it's incredibly frustrating. And then even if you did, I kept that five and I went up and did the five. It's not permanent. And the next time, if a, if a single die ends up next to the card that I've just done the very difficult stage on, it will drop back down and I'll have to get five again just to step it up. And there are cards that require multiple fours, which is very four threes and then another four threes and three threes. It's very hard to do. And you're working over one minute and thinking really hard, as you do in all of these Kane Clinker real-time dice rolling games, only to, half the time, at the end of the minute, have a worse roll than you did from the very first roll. And oftentimes it ends up being really bland because you've just given yourself two of everything, if you can, so that you're too scared of things going downwards. But then you haven't got anywhere, you haven't gone up anywhere. And you're just wading through this syrup and this very incremental gains. <sighs> just not a good game there are six modules in there it's like plopping cherries on top of a a you know what it also comes with a free terrible novella of no use no proving grounds i'm so surprised this came out from kane klenko really love flatline like i said i'll let you know how fuse has gone in an episode coming soon this just really really bad i know they wanted to start off a uh a series of solo games, this being the first one. I think the second one has just been kick-started right from a different designer. Well, this was not the way to start. Misprinted and really incredibly frustrating experience. So, sorry if you bought that. <laughs> Don't buy it if you haven't. These next five, some merit to them. And number five that I'm going to give you is Cristallo. It's a twenty. Well, I think it's a 2020 release. It's only just started being shipped to back backers. BGG says it was a year or two ago. Anyway, it's from Lightheart Games. It's designed by Liberty Kiefer. In Cristallo, six creatures have been captured by a dragon. And they're all a different colour. And they've got three crystals on them, sort of locking them down. You are given a deck of cards... And on these cards, there are between one to four symbols in the four corners of the cards. 
Now the cards are rectangular, like a standard, you know, card playing card. But you're going to form a grid with them, which is interesting because if they were squares, you'd be forming a grid and everything would match up and all the corners would always match up with each other. But because they're rectangles, the corners don't always match up with each other. So you're having to think about, oh, and when you first start playing that as it's actually, and indeed through, through plays, that slight difference in forming the grid is something to get your head around. What you're trying to do is have a right angle of three crystals because in lots of the corners, there's going to be crystals there and there are three different colors and three different sizes or one, two or three, depending on how many prongs are on the crystal. And you're trying to get a right angle of three with a color of crystal space sort of in the angle. And when you do that, you can take a crystal off the creature off the color crystal space and put it. And when you get three off a creature, that's going to be freed and you're looking to free all six of the creatures. Now, when I say what sort of crystals you want to get in that pattern, well, if you get three exact sames, three three-prong oranges, that's perfect. But equally valid is you can have three of the same color, but they have to be the one, the two, and the three prongs. Or you can have the three colors, but all have the same size. So if you had three twos and they're all different colors, that would also count, and you'd be able to claim a crystal. The other thing you might see on the cards are the different treasures. And when you take different treasures, they come in sets. When you complete a set, you get a special power, but also they're going to help you for a scoring because how well you do gives you a certain score in the game when you free the dragon. Now, once you have freed those, those six creatures and put all 18 crystals in play on your grid, the remaining cards you have go with some set-aside cards. Then you get to look at them all, and then you're looking to create a grid in which you can free one of each of the six types of crystals, but you get to plan that and move it around and do it however you want to do. And as long as you can do that, you've defeated the dragon. The number of uh, treasures that you've unveiled by basically... Um, making sure that you've taken all the crystals off the corners of them without covering them up. That's going to add to your score. And basically after a few plays, you're going to be playing to beat your high score because now if you've just got Cristallo or you're thinking of getting it and you want to discover this for yourself, I'd say skip forward one minute because I'm about to say that in the, this very rare occasion, I think I worked out the puzzle to the game and it became way less interesting at that point. When I say you have to create right angles, you can create a cross. And if you create a cross, you can free four crystals. Now that all have to be of the same thing. So if I had a three orange, if I put a three purple and a three red up and above and below it, but then I put, uh, I could do it the other threes either side as well. So if I had two reds left and right and two purples up and down, I then can free four crystals at once. And as soon as I worked out that's really what I was going for, the game became really easy in terms of beating the dragon. And then all I'm doing is trying to get more treasures than I did last time. And a lot of times that's down to luck of the draw, whether they come out in time or not, for you to be able to get them. And to be honest with you, with solo games, just beating my own score is really my least favourite thing to try and do. And I know some people do like it, so that's why I said, remember when I started Proving Grounds, have a think about what I'm saying, because there's a nice puzzle here, and if you like the idea of trying to do the puzzle better, but I want to have a challenge to actually win, and, and really the challenge went quite quickly. So, Cristallo, I was really charmed, it's got nice components, I love the crystals, I love the whole approach to it, I really enjoyed my first two, three games, and then once it clicked, it spiralled a bit for me. So there you go. That's my number five was Chris 
Hello. My number four is Captive, which is a 2016 game. It's a game within a book, though. It's from uh, Makaka and Van Ryder Games and Emmanuel Manuro. And when I say it's from the book, it's one of these things you may have heard of them, that Van Ryder have a series of graphic novel And you start off, you set the scene, and then from there on, it's almost choose your own adventure. But it's not writing. It's flick to a certain panel within this book and follow the story throughout the graphic novels. They've just kick-started season three of them. So clearly they're doing very successfully because they're still making more and more of them. Well, this was my first attempt at one, and this one, as I said, was Captive. I'm going to set the scene for you for this because you don't play this as part of the game. You just read the first few pages of the graphic novel, uh, and, and that sets you up, and then you start making decisions. And in the first few pages in this, you're going to discover that you're a, a male whose daughter has been kidnapped and that you are going to an address in order to provide the ransom to get your daughter back, and the address turns out to be a big house, a big mansion, but you, instead of going alone, you go with two friends and you bring a gun and then you walk in the front door and there's a confrontation and then boom, where are you going to go? And there are three doors at that point and each of the doors has got a number next to them as in a choose your own adventure book and you choose a door to go through and it tells you what panel to go to and you move on from there. You have stats, you have health. If it runs out to zero, then you have to stop and you have to start the, the uh, whole experience again. And you have equipment, which you can pick up and discover along the way, but you can only carry a limited amount of them. And those mechanisms are very, very simple. They definitely have to be aware of your health. It's not an easy game. But it's all about discovering the story and making decisions and going through and exploring this mansion. And it's very tense. And there's a lot of discovery to it. And there are weird details going on that you're like, oh, that's a bit strange, that's a bit odd. And you are faced with choices. And... As you go, you will probably find, or certainly everyone that I know has played this found that you'll start making a map of this game because it gets very confusing. There's lots of different ways to go. And you get a real sense of progression that you've gone, oh, I've discovered another floor. I've worked out another room. I found a key. I can now go through that door that was locked before. So there's lots of things to go through. And you're learning as you play and you're learning about this and you're getting more information. So if you do have to start again, you can maybe whiz through a few places and then oh, I'm going to explore this area that I didn't go to before. I never got to see it and I'll find out what's there and I'll find my most efficient way through this story. I mean, if you've, you've done a choose your own adventure, it's, it's the same thing. But a lot of the information is visual, visual with a hidden numbers and things like that. Okay. Why is it my number four then? And not my number one. Well... Certainly, at least for this one, there's a lot of input. You're really looking at every single panel, and it is tough. It's tough to do well in. And the house is very confusingly laid out, and there appear to be sort of half stairs up to a half level or a mezzanine that lead onto another place or down again, and places twist round on each other and doors lock and unlock. And to track it all, you're having to work hard in order to get good at this game. The other slight negative for me about Captive was you can't really explore the story and the weirdness. It tries to make the setting realistic in that you've gone to this house, imagine you're in this situation, you're a normal dude, well maybe not quite normal, but normal-ish, and you have a gun, but you're not a superhero. And when weird stuff starts happening, or if something strange is going on over there, you're not allowed to go and do it. Well, you're allowed to, but you'll die. 
So in terms of winning, you're not allowed to go and do it. And every time something unusual or interesting happens, and I went to have a look and see, oh, I wonder what that is. Is this this going to reveal the strangest that's going on? He's like, no, you're dead. Okay, I'll start again. And that was frustrating because the fact you have to avoid anything that's a bit, a bit different adds to the feeling that the game gets a little bit monotonous. You're opening a lot of doors. You're looking at a lot of rooms that look fairly similar to each other. You're looking for numbers. You're being careful not to explore. And then you're moving on. And it can just get into a bit of a grind going through endless room after room after room. And it's not like you walk into a room and there's lots of different things happening. It's walk into a room, do one or two things. Next room, do one thing. Next room, do one thing. Next room, right, retrace my steps. This room, do one thing. Loads and loads and loads of rooms rather than loads and loads of interactions within a room. Flipping that round, the fact that it's realistic is also really good. Because if you get in a situation where there's a bit of danger, that's not that sort of weirdness, right? Because it's frustrating not to explore that. But actual danger where there's someone there or, or a hazard or an animal or something weird that's coming at you. You're given choices of what to do. You can't be a hero. You can't be a superhero. You have to make the sensible choice that is to preserve your life. So if you're in a gunfight, you don't make the risky dive across the room to get behind something. You say, no, no, no. I step back and hide behind here. And, and when things are a bit calm, then maybe then I can start making a move. But I don't charge through gunfire. If I charge through gunfire, they're going to shoot you. This is not an action movie. It's a tense thriller. Keep it very careful. You are a fragile being. So I felt a bit frustrated playing Captive. I never finished it. I enjoyed it, but started getting that feeling of monotony. So that's why it's my number four of these six. But... I certainly saw enough in it that at the last Essen, I went up to the Van Ryder booth and I was like, right, I'm going to get another one of these because it's possible it was just the particular style of that one didn't suit what I wanted. So I bought Loop Guru, which I'm guessing is about Loop Guru, a werewolfy sort of thing. And I'm going to play that and uh, hopefully I'll do another one of these solo pit fights and I'll feedback on that one and we'll see whether the system is what's really limiting or the fact that they were trying to create a certain atmosphere in that one was what limited you so captive is very interesting if we like that idea of that really thinky puzzler working your way through being careful covering all angles give it a look but for me my number four okay gonna move onwards to my number three and this one is fire a 2019 game from uh, 2F Spieler and Stronghold. And if you know 2F Spieler, you'll know this was designed by Freedom and Freeze because that is his company. It's a one or two player card game which recreates a game of Space Invaders. And it goes through various levels. On the first level, you've got three guns and you've got a bunch of aliens which are in a row above you. And for those three guns, you're going to load them up with battery cards. The battery cards come in numbers one to five. And you just add them below a gun, add them below a gun. But when a gun has a total of cards that adds up to more than 10, that gun will fire. And the strength that it fires is, you take the total strength, you minus 10 from it, and you multiply that by the total number of cards within that column. We've built it up with the zeros, the ones, the twos, whatever it may be. That will shoot, and you could choose any of the aliens. There's no sort of a spatial thing here to hit. And they all have a health total, which starts high. And if you... Do more than that total damage, you can rotate the card one and it will go to a lower health total. But it won't be so you, if you hit it for 16 damage at 16 health, 
it will rotate round, but now it will be on the 12 health and you'll have to hit it again for at least 12 to rotate it again round to eight, round to four, eventually round to zero. So you have to hit each alien multiple times unless you're doing massive amounts of damage or more towards the end of a round. If an alien's sitting there on a six and the next level down is three and then you get to zero and you hit it for 10, you can hit it for the six and the three in one go. But you can only ever hit one alien at a time. I hope that all makes sense. So you rotate them to show that you're lowering their health, but each time that one of these guns fires, you're going to have to discard one of your battery cards. So your batteries are draining over the course of this round as you're weakening the aliens, making them lower down, and trying to not run out of cards before you've defeated all the aliens on this level. Once you have defeated a level, you can replay it if you want to, but there are several levels within the box. And when you got to the next level, you'll get different battery cards, but also you'll get different aliens, and they might have higher health, or they might work in different ways. Fire. When I'm playing it, I'm really aware that uh, Freeman Freeze is controlling me, and he's using maths as the strings to be my puppet master and he's just operating and going this works in a very there's a formula here there's a limited play space there's a limited range of possibilities and your tactics are limited and there's possibly a a script that you have to stick fairly close to in order to be successful and that's okay because for me fire has been my really relaxing but always close a bit of tension, but I don't have to think too much. Solo go-to game. Now, the reason this is ahead of captive may be because I'm often playing these games at three in the morning when all the tube trains have gone to sleep and I've had a sandwich and I've got maybe a half an hour to myself and I get out a game and maybe fire is more suited to that situation than captive is. Keep that in mind. But I, I just enjoy that puzzle. I enjoy the progression I enjoy the fact that every time I get it out, okay, I'm on level four now. This is all familiar, but very slightly different. And each time I'm having to remove a card from that battery deck, there's a small decision to be made there. Which ones do I take out first? If I leave myself with all high cards, the multipliers won't be enough. But if I don't have high cards, I won't be able to jump far enough from eight or nine above 10 to have a multiplier to go the other way. And it's not a huge decision space, but it's certainly been fun for me. There's limited shelf life in it. But that shelf life is, I mean, if, if you're really good at maths or, or you bother to do all the puzzling and working out, maybe it will just be a handful of plays, but it'll still be at least 10 to get through the levels. For me, it's going to be more in the two or three dozen games to get all the way through it because I don't pass every level every time and I don't really want to pass every level every time. I'm quite happy to have that game and go again. And when I do finally pass it, oh, good, that was cool. That took me a couple of goes. Move on to the next one. So I can really hear the author's voice when I'm playing fire, but I don't mind it. And I don't mind being carried through because it's done been done in an enjoyable way where it's very, very quick. It's very clear. The graphic design is great because I just, everything is in front of me. It's a very simple system. So it's easier to do that with a simple system, but it works well. And I really enjoy the ride of fire, which is why it's my number three in this shadow game pit fight. Okay, we're into the top two. And they're relatively similar games. They're both dice rollers. They're both you're controlling a vehicle and you are against a deck of enemies and you're looking to defeat that deck by how you assign your dice. But number two is going to go to Pocket Landship, which I'm aware was a print and play game when I think it had a straight up 
War theme. In 2017, it was free and it was part of, a, I think it was nominated for a Golden Geek. It's come out now. It was kickstarted and now it's been delivered in 2020. It's by Scott Allen. I'm sorry about this. It could be Chish. Apologies if I got that wrong. And Word Forge Games. And in it now, you control a landship or a tank, but it's a steampunk tank. It's a very light smattering of theme there. It doesn't really matter. Might have drawn a few more punters in. What you have and what represents your landship is that you have a definitely a hull, definitely a cannon, and then something else. It might be supplementary guns. It might be a squadron, whatever, but they are three cards. You're going to be facing against cards of enemies, and they come in the grid, which is three by three, left, center, right, and three deep. They could be things like infantry, artillery, there might be a minefield, there might be some sort of support unit, and quite often they are different types of mechs, which are attacking you think scythe here. On your turn, you roll three action dice. Each of the three elements of your landship has got options one to six of what they do, and they could be great or they could be simply jamming and doing nothing. You assign your dice those three dice to your three elements, and then you're going to trigger whatever it is that they have done. They might repair themselves if they've taken damage. They might hit a particular column, or particularly your hull, it might give you a dice for next time round, or it might let you roll one extra dice next time, and then you choose three from the four. Or like I say, they might do nothing, they might be in a jam spot. Depending upon what you've rolled and what your priorities are this turn, then you're going to choose to assign them a very light decision to make being aware that each of these have their own health and if your hull or your cannon ever get reduced down to zero you're going to have lost the game and you're going to win the game by eliminating the nine enemies so once you've assigned your dice you then again roll three action dice but this time they're going to go to the enemies in the front rank they're going to go left to right from lowest to highest and all those enemies again will have six different things that can trigger off them whenever they get triggered They'll all have health, apart from the odd one has got sort of a timer on it where it will tick down. And they'll tend to be the ones that aren't actually units. It'll be like, all right, you're going through a minefield or, or a headquarters are helping out for a little while, whatever it may be. But they will eventually disappear as well. So they'll be hitting you. They might be repairing. They might be retreating. They might be moving from one column to another because often your hits are specific to a column depending on what die number you have assigned to it. And you're going backwards, forwards, rolling three dice at a time, Programmed what they do, deciding a little bit what you do until one side has won. So, from that description, you may be thinking, it sounds like there's a lack of decisions in this, Ronan. There's a bit of a lack of decisions in it. I'm going to be honest with you. This is not one that's going to really work your brain constantly and you're going to be thinking and deciding and sitting up at night thinking about different tactics you could have done. You're assigning three dice and there's really limited ways in which you can do that. But it's very fast-paced. And part of that is that quite often the decision you're making is how far do I want to push my luck? As opposed to proving grounds where it wasn't pushing my luck, it was having to destroy everything I've achieved in order to just tread water. In this one, wow, I've triggered a decent attack there that will do two health, but I could repair one. Now, do I do the two damage or do I push it and repair one and hope to get a repair dice next time? Because my health is very precious, but if I don't kill them, they're just going to hit me again and again and again. And that little, that's, that's fun. 
that's something where you go in it and you go, mm, I'll, I'll go for it. Or this time, oh, I won't go for it. And then you don't roll another decent attack for three rounds and you're cursing yourself because you keep rolling repair dice and your health at maximum. And you know how games work. It's things like that. And it is gentle and it's light, but it's definitely there. The dice roll, when you're looking at it going, hey, I've got to roll a four, I've got to roll a four, no four. Ah! Don't let the middle one be a five. What do you get? Four, five, six, the middle one's a five. Things like that happen and it's funny and it's quick and it's going through. There are um, drivers and commanders opportunities that you get whereby um, you're going to get special powers. So when you eliminate two mechs, you get to draw from a deck and choose one from two and stuff like that. And you, when you time to use them, can be fun and you can feel like, oh, and then sometimes you, you haven't used them till it's too late and sometimes you use them too early. Again, just adding sort of a very light veneer to it. There are various setups your landship can be. There is a very, very simple campaign system within this very small box, which just says, use this setup against these enemies, that's scenario one. Use this setup against these enemies, that's scenario two. But it'll introduce you slowly to sort of some of the things that very small amount are slightly more complicated, but they're not really more complicated, but it does definitely get tougher. And in fact, the enemies all have got a difficulty rating on them in the top right corner. So you can set the deck to whether you want it to be an easier game or a more difficult game or the hardest game you can get out of that deck. And that's all quite fun within itself. And mostly, the most important thing about Pocket Landship is constant action. Once you start playing, you do feel like you're in this steampunk tank that's got momentum that is going to keep rolling until either everything falls off the side of it or it's blown everything out of its way and it just keeps trundling slowly on, puffing out smoke out the back. And while it's a light game, it's a blurry game because of the speed. So sometimes you don't worry about the fact that it's light because it's going so fast and you're having a bit of fun and you're not sure exactly what's going to happen. And that makes for a fun game for me. And so my number two shadow recommendation is Pocket Landship. Now I said this game is similar and I probably you're going to hear now as I talk that you'll hear some similar things going on. But this did it before and to me it did it that step better and this is clearly my favourite of these solo games. It's Deep Space D6. Originally from 2015 it came out again I think another print and play from Tony Go and Tau Leader Games. It really, what it is is Star Trek the Dice Game, but obviously it doesn't have the intellectual property, so it's called Deep Space D6. What you're facing is you are a starship, and you're controlling it, you're controlling the crew there, but you're going to deal with a deck of threats. And every round, one or more of those threats are going to come into play, and they're going to go in position next to your ship according to what their current health is, and you're looking to get their health down to zero, and again, get all the way through the deck of threats and survive, keep your ship going all the way through in order to have won the game or your ship blows up and you have lost. I'm going to tell you what happens in the second part of the round before the first part of the round because the first part is reacting to the second part which is when these threats are going to activate because you roll a threat die and each of the threats has got a different trigger numbers on them. It could be one, so if you roll a two that card will activate or it could be a whole host of numbers. Now whatever die I roll on the threat die, whatever result I get, say it's a three, all the threats that have got three in their threat area will trigger off and they will start attacking me. And they can do various different things. They can attack your shields, which is a system on the ship, and take them all out of play. They can attack your hull. Now, if your shields can get to zero, you can recharge them. Your hull you can repair as you go, but if it ever gets to zero, you've lost the game. You have got crew in the game because you roll six dice and they, they represent your crew each round. They can disable some dice and take them out of play or disable certain stations and take them out of the play. 
or some of them will be like defense platforms, which will necessarily soak up all the fire and you have to get rid of them before you can attack the other ships. Some ships are faster and hit harder, some are just slow and plodding and loads of health, but they don't activate that often, So, but maybe they activate for a lot of damage. Depends, different things different come out and they're always going to come out in a different order every single time you play. On the first part of the turn, this is what you're doing, you're rolling your six, or hopefully six, crew dice, and there are different faces on them. Now, there are different spaceships within the game when you buy it, and depending upon which spaceship you're using, the different faces represent different things. I'm going to take you through what the first ship does, and then from there just accept that there are different variants and different ships work in different ways. But in terms of the first one, when you roll the face, you assign it to different stations. Now, you can go on guns, and the more you put on guns, the more powerful they get. And that's how you're going to reduce the health of threats. You can put them on your shields, like I say. You can recharge them fully. You can repair your hull if it's taking any damage. You can do the medical station, which can allow you to retrieve crew that have been injured. But also on that dice is a threat face. And if you ever have three threats rolled at once, you're going to get an extra threat card out, and they all go back into recovery, and you're going to have to get them back as well. Sometimes these threats are internal, and when they're internal, you're going to have to assign different specific dice faces to them in order to get rid of them to stop them from whatever it is they're doing to hamper your efforts. And again, there's a lot of variety in them. So are you either going to defeat this whole deck of baddies, or is your ship going to blow up in each game of Deep Space D6? There's also contained within there a special enemy called the Ouroboros enemy, which you can see throughout the deck when all six cards come out, it, it comes into play, or you can leave it till the end, or you can play without it, and it's just a massive ship with lots of different things going on that can self-heal and fires off missiles and is very difficult to do. So if you feel like you're getting too good at it, you can do that as well as changing up your ship. Now there's a ton of replayability in Deep Space D6. Even if there's only one ship, the fact that the enemies come out in a different way every time would mean that every game would be a bit different if you need more variety as you go to the different ships then they activate in different ways and you've got to subtly change the way you're thinking and what's most effective because in that first ship you want to fire your guns a lot but as you go into other different spaceships maybe it's not quite as obvious as that the captain in the first ship is very flexible you can copy anyone else whereas when you get in they become other dice and you have to adjust to that and the game doesn't love you quite as much but it's, it's hard even on the basic setting don't worry about that the fact that when you're rolling, there's real sort of theatre to it, especially the threat die, especially if you've got certain numbers you really don't want to come up with. Don't roll a four. Please don't roll a four. I've pushed my life. If you roll a four, we're going to blow up. And of course, we, well, whether you roll it or not, it's going to be funny either way. You're making quick light action selection decisions all the way through. You're deciding when you fire guns which threat to take out. You're deciding whether to heal your crew or prevent more threat coming out. Whether to deal with those internal threats. Like I say, which different dice to copy. Again, quick moving. More decisions than pocket landship. More variety, more action, but similar. But like I say, possibly done slightly better. So... My number one small box solo game recommendation for this pit fight is Deep Space D6. And I think I mentioned on an episode before, I kickstarted the multiplayer version that's just gone through Kickstarter a few months ago, uh, Deep Space Armada. So um, you can expect to hear about that when I get my hands in it. I'm very much looking forward to it. So that's it for us. I hope you enjoyed that quick rundown of six solo games. I hope it's been of some use to you. Maybe it'll give you some inspiration for something to do to while away the hours in the coming weeks and months. As I said, 
everyone i truly hope you and your loved ones stay safe and uh our, our thoughts go out to you and um we are going to catch you again very soon given that we have little else to do other than record podcasts there'll be another episode hot on the heels of this one this has been the game pit podcast we are proud members of the dice tower network head to the dicetower.com for all sorts of fantastic gaming coverage we do rules overview videos, the library of which is available on YouTube on the Game Pit channel, but from now on they're published on the YouTube Dice Tower channel, and uh, we will hopefully be getting some of those videos rolling again soon if things calm down just a little. You can catch all our episodes on iTunes and Stitcher and Podbean. If you want to chat to us, Twitter is where we're most active. We've also got a Facebook and Instagram account, and you can also head to our guild on Board Game Geek. Or if you want to send a message to us directly, it's thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you again on the Game Pit. Music. Bye.